Scott Walker here on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Today is uh, Friday. It's always good to remember what day it is. Friday, May 8th, 2020. I've now been uh, free of travel for more than two months. Some of you may recall this, but I was uh, one of those folks that had to self-quarantine after speaking at CPAC, the National Conservative Conference uh, that was in the Washington, D.C. area at the end of February. Uh, one of the people that was there, um, actually a good guy, uh, a friend of mine, someone I went to Israel with uh, last year about this time. Uh, anyway, he was one of the individuals who tested positive uh, for the coronavirus. He ended up testing positive uh, a couple days after CPAC. So he certainly wasn't uh, aware of the fact he was positive at the time. But I, I remember getting a text. I was actually on a plane uh, getting a text from him uh, saying that he had tested positive. He ended up being in the hospital in the intensive care unit for a couple of number of days. Uh, he was actually pretty sick and double pneumonia and, and uh, ultimately uh, recovered and is just fine now. Uh, he's one of two people I know who had tested positive for uh, COVID-19. But uh, I, I remember just being on that plane thinking, wow, uh, what, uh, what, you know, what's going on here? Um, very, very concerned that the, um, um, at that time, you know, two months ago, not knowing exactly what all this was about. So I, I, uh, self-quarantined, I went through the full 14 days, Tonette stayed away until after that was all done. Uh, thankfully, uh, she was actually out of town initially and then came back and stayed with our sons, Matt and Alex, but it got my attention. And I was thinking about this. I, I went back at the end of that time. I was out of the 14-day quarantine um, on uh, March 13th. And so I went out and uh, that day wrote an extensive post on Facebook. You can go back and look at stuff on my Facebook site. But talking about the why. I've been critical of a number of elected officials for saying they, they just talk about the what and not the why. Uh, for me, it was important at that time. Early on, I, I'd listened to a number of folks. I, I read as much as I could because it could. Uh, again, like a lot of people uh, in that situation, you're very, very concerned that uh, you could be, uh, you know, ultimately uh, test positive. I, every day, twice a day, took my temperature, talked to a public health nurse. Again, everything was fine. Never uh, never even got up to the normal temperature, uh, but used a lot of time for prayer and reflection. A lot of time after I was done, after the 14 days, and, and since then I've been out exercising quite a bit, continue the prayer and devotion. I, I hope you appreciate the, the post we do every morning with a, a bit of hopefully positive scripture for you. But as I was posted at the time on the 13th uh, of March, so a couple months ago, I pointed out why the why, uh, and that um, it wasn't just that this was contagious, but that uh, we were seeing rates rapidly accelerate. Uh, and our concern was that we had to reduce the number of people who were exposed to the coronavirus. Uh, the idea being that's why I supported, it wasn't the government doing it at the time, but I supported uh, Major League Sports, uh, the NBA, uh, the time spring training was going on with baseball, uh, other venues like concerts and things like that, canceling or postponing their events because I knew that the more people were together, the more they'd be exposed, the more likely the infection rate would go up. And we could see here in Wisconsin, as well as across the country, that if it accelerated at the rate originally it was looking at, uh, you'd have too many people uh, 
become affected and not enough hospital rooms, particularly not enough space in intensive care units, which is the key to treatment. The reason I say all that is uh, I, I point that out as someone who is extremely frustrated. You know, in the last two months, I've had both fear and frustration, fear, particularly early on when I was in self-quarantine of not knowing, am I, am I going to get this? Uh, what would happen? Uh, is this going to be the end? Is this, you know, all those legitimate things that I think people here and across the country and really around the world were thinking. At the same time, as time's gone by, the frustration, not just being cooped up and not just seeing the economy take a hit. And it's some of my businesses have, have seen a reduction in terms of revenues coming in. So we reduced uh, some of the pay that we get as well, like a lot of small business owners out there, uh, but more just the frustration of, of feeling like so many people have suspended common sense in government at so many different levels uh, that after two months in realizing, hey, we can, we, we can actually ease back in. We, we can have plans to safely and reasonably start to reopen the economy. We actually should have started doing this some time ago um, and not putting people at risk. I just think it's a, I wrote about this in the Washington Times a few weeks ago. <clears throat> it is a ridiculous and bogus claim to say that those of us who are frustrated, who believe there's got to be a logical way to transition responsibly back into the economy, somehow don't care about people's health. That That's just foolhardy. Um, if we have had for two months now people at grocery stores, if we've had people at uh, pharmacies, if we've had people uh, going to the, the post office and UPS and, and factories that are that are deemed essential because of the work that they do, if those places can operate safely, and particularly a number of factories, I know uh, owners that I've talked to, small businesses, and talked about how months ago they started the precautions to the, to close break rooms, to close lunch rooms, to monitor people coming in and out so they didn't come in at the same time. If we can do all those things with so-called essential businesses, there are really, uh, it, it, with a few exceptions, it just seems uh, just crazy that we cannot do that uh, when it comes to other parts of the nation's economy and, and particularly here in states like mine in Wisconsin. So uh, that's been a bit of my frustration. But I, I went back just because then I was ex making the case as to why we had to stop having these big events, talked about how critical it was to follow the CDC guidelines of washing our hands, of, of uh, uh, disinfecting surfaces, all, all the things they've been talking about now for the last two months. It's amazing here we sit and in many states, not just Wisconsin, um, a number of states out there. In fact, um, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and Freedom Works put out a report this past week. I encourage you to look at it. I posted it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but it showed the states uh, by governor uh, that were doing exceptionally well and, and the states that were not. Uh, I unfortunately live in a state uh, where the leadership here got an F. Uh, just to show it's not completely partisan, actually one of the governors who got an A is the governor of Colorado. Uh, shocking as that might be, but uh, he, he had, and I posted this a week or two back, I thought a pretty responsible, pretty reasonable plan. Um, the governor of uh, Louisiana, who just got reelected this past year, a Democrat, got a reasonably good grade. And, and uh, there are a number of Republicans who got A's as well and B's. Uh, there are a few others who got lower grades. Uh, but it's just, again, it's all about balance. It's all about using common sense. We can get through this and we don't have to treat things the same way. Uh, I was looking at a tweet last night of uh, uh, someone who was taking a shot at uh, 
people like me and others out there and they had a, a picture of a couple looking at a house that was in fire and the couple said well maybe we can we can go back in slowly um, and, and kind of taking a shot at this argument that we can ease back into the economy. I said the ridiculousness of, of that argument is twofold. One, the obvious, like I just stated, uh, we're not like that house in the sense that even though the economy is, is uh, crumbling, uh, we've had people working. Uh, all these essential workers have been working for quite some time, which I should add as an aside, I, I forgot to mention this before, not only have essential workers been working, but there is a health risk for us to continue to stay closed, particularly through Memorial Day or even through the summer beyond, uh, because you've got, uh, people forget about this, but uh, doctor's offices, clinics, even parts of hospitals that aren't treating COVID-19 patients or dealing with emergency room cases, all those areas are closed. In fact, some of the hardest hit and layoffs are healthcare professionals. Well, those are all people that, that normally would be open and operating and everyday citizens would be coming in for doctor's visits and routine checkups. And they hopefully through early detection would be finding uh, things like cancer and heart disease and other issues like that. In particular, with a pediatrician seeing young children finding things early on, that hasn't happened in many cases. Now, some states have eased off on a little bit, and that's good news. But in many cases, we haven't seen people going back uh, and haven't been to their doctors, not just in the last two months, but many others who may have not been, you know, for months, uh, if not part of a year or, or more, and they're going to miss out on early detection, uh, which in many of these diseases is critical to survival. So um, I, I just looked at that, at that cartoon and just thought how ridiculous, uh, but, but even just to stick with the analogy of the cartoon, um, the, the, what they miss in the logic is that even if that particular house was on fire, you certainly wouldn't go back into that one. But if I lived a block or two away and my house wasn't on fire, there's no reason for me not to be in my house. And I think that's how many people feel across the country, particularly not just in states, but in counties within states. Uh, you know, there are many counties across American states that don't have any recorded cases of COVID-19. There are other places, and it's easy to figure out when you've got a highly contagious uh, disease. It's no wonder that a place like New York City in New York State have been hit so hard where people, there's a high density of population versus um, say Los Angeles and California, which was another area of concern, but has nowhere near the number of cases on a per capita basis, uh, because even though it's a large metropolitan area, even though it's a large state, uh, people by and large, uh, there are obviously exceptions, but, but most parts of, of the West, not just California, the population is a bit more spread out. They're, they're not living in, in high-rise buildings, rich or poor, anywhere in between. There's a lot of folks in New York uh, who live uh, in, in buildings where they're right on, uh, almost literally on top of each other. So uh, just a lot of frustration out there. There's got to be a way we can get back to common sense. There's got to be a way we can get back to moving uh, our country, uh, our states, our cities, our regions back in the right direction. Uh, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk uh, about something completely uh, different. Uh, I would say, I was going to say completely unrelated to COVID-19, but it's, there's a little bit of it in there, but, but something that's a, a much different take than what we've been talking about of late and others have been talking about. Uh, I want to talk about the future and the, the next generation, the Generation Z, and what they think, not just about COVID-19, but what they think about politics, who's to blame for COVID-19, and what their political beliefs are. 
it would surprise you when you hear the results. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Scott Walker, you're back on our podcast. You can't recall courage. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you like what you're hearing this week or in previous weeks, um, make sure you pass the word on to others and uh, let people know that you like what we're doing. You know, I, uh, I, I said the other day on a call, uh, four simple words, open, get, don't stop, open the economy, get back to work, don't encroach on our liberties and stop spending. Uh, that's a whole discussion for another podcast about how outrageous the federal spending is. I, I, I still remember when I was a young man, I was a big admirer of President Reagan. He talked about the need for a balanced budget amendment. In his uh, term as president, we reached the one trillion mark in terms of the federal debt, uh, which we thought was shocking at the time. And yet the CARES Act, it cost nearly twice that amount. Uh, so it just shows you how different things are today. But, but that's not what I want to talk about now. I, I, many of you know, listening to this podcast uh, or reading uh, our social media posts or a weekly uh, column in the Washington Times. I am uh, I'm excited about all the projects I'm working on right now, but starting next year at the beginning of 2021, I'm absolutely thrilled to be the president uh, elect and will be the president at that time of, uh, yeah, Young America's Foundation. Uh, and, and if you, if you want to know more about it, yaf.org, easiest way to explain it is YAF is really the organization that's been around for decades, the organization that is training America's next generation of freedom fighters uh, from school conferences, uh, uh, for high school and college students uh, in Washington, in Santa Barbara, at the Reagan Ranch and Reagan Ranch Center, uh, to uh, regional conferences, uh, to chapters, active chapters, and campuses all across the country, uh, to the largest the most prominent conservative speakers series, including people like Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Art Laffer, so many others out there uh, on uh, campuses all across the, the country. There's a National Journalism Center trying to teach objective journalism. There's a Center for Entrepreneurship and Free Enterprise. Um, the, the ranch itself is remarkable. It's the actual ranch that President and Mrs. Reagan had and, and stayed at. Uh, uh, in fact, that was the place if they weren't at the White House, they were at the so-called Western White House uh, up in the mountains above Santa Barbara, a spectacular site. I hope everyone listening someday could get a chance to visit. It's a great, actually it's a great twofer if folks are, get a chance to go out to the ranch uh, and uh, maybe spend uh, another day or two at the uh, uh, President Reagan, the Presidential Library Museum. They're not too far away from each other. One's in Simi Valley outside of LA. The other's a little bit further down. The ranch is, is uh, the ranch center. Uh, where we do the training at is in Santa Barbara, right downtown. Uh, the ranch itself is up in the mountains a little bit away. Uh, Ed Meese, the former attorney general for President Reagan, I think described it well. He said, if you want to know about the administration, uh, about what happened during the administration of our 40th president, you, you go to the, the presidential library. Uh, that's where you can see the displays. You can look at the documents. If you want to know about the man, you go to the ranch. Uh, this was the place uh, where... Uh, President Reagan hosted um, the Queen of England, Margaret Thatcher, Gorbachev, that great picture of the two of them in their cowboy hats. Uh, it's just a fabulous place. And, and it personifies the, what I call the freedom and the frugality of, of Reagan, the freedom of the wide open space, the view of the ocean on one side, the valley on the other, the, the trails that he loved to clear. You could see why he loved the expanse and just the, the essence of the freedom and the unknown, the exploration, the innovation, the the, the optimism he had for the American people and the American spirit. 
the same time, the frugality of a small ranch house uh, really symbolized the frugality of a, a Midwesterner born uh, in, in the Midwest, raised in Dixon, Illinois, and, and raised during the Great Depression. Any, anyway, I, I could talk about that all day, but, but what I wanted to talk about in the last few minutes is a poll that YAF commissioned in partnership with the Federalist. Uh, they did the poll at the end of last month, so the uh, 24th through the 27th of April, 800 current high school students, 800 uh, current post-secondary students taken completely out of a out of uh, uh, the general population. You want to see the details of the poll. There's both the story, but the actual poll with the questions at YAF, Y-A-F dot O-R-G. Why that's important is I tell people when you hear about any poll, not just this poll, but polit particularly political polls, don't just look at their press release, see if they've got a link uh, to the poll and the questions that they ask and, and the questions they ask before and after. This, this poll, you can see the entire poll, every question from the beginning to the end, really, really interesting. Uh, probably the, the headline uh, that I, I drew attention to is that uh, unlike millennials who, you know, I remember seeing polls in the past, I've talked about the Gallup poll of adults Adults under the age of 30, uh, sadly, Gallup polls showed that uh, nearly 60%, 58% said they were open to socialism. And even more troubling, less than a quarter uh, identified themselves as exceptionally proud to be Americans. Uh, that's largely influenced adults under the age of 30. So 18 to 30, uh, that's overwhelmingly driven by millennials um, having a slightly different view of the world. And, and I get it. They came of age under... Obama, a lot of the norms that they were taught by their parents and grandparents were, were kind of shaken during uh, the 2008-2009 recession. They, they you know, were told if you go to school, you get a job, uh, you buy a home, you get married, all these good things will happen. And, and during all that, they saw the economy fall apart. They saw that some of them saw their parents, even their families lose their homes. Um, they, they saw their market value drop. They took on all these massive student loans and there were no jobs at the time. So you can, it's not right. I don't agree with it, but you can see how maybe they were a little conflicted. You've now got the next generation, the, the post-millennial generation, and that's generation Z. And so that's really what these high school and post-secondary students were in this poll. Uh, and, and it was interesting, uh, contrary to what you think with millennials. So the question, a series of questions were asking, and, and they, right off the bat, they talked about, and this is the only reference I make to COVID-19, but, but they were very concerned about it. In fact, 82% of all the students said they were very or somewhat uh, closely paying attention to the coronavirus outbreak. 80% uh, uh, thought it was this extremely or very serious problem. Uh, about 70% were very or somewhat worried that they would be infected. 80% was worried that a friend or family member would be infected. Uh, and and uh, almost half said this would affect uh, their post-graduation plans. Uh, so some, some real impact there. Um, over 90% said their school, uh, whether it was their high school or their college or university, whatever it might be, was shut down. All those things were, were quite interesting. But what I found the most interesting was there was a question asked that said, would you say you're considered, excuse me, would you say you consider yourself to be ideologically, and there were six uh, options given, very conservative, somewhat conservative, moderate, somewhat progressive, very progressive or unsure. 
30% of the students said they were very or somewhat conservative versus just 20% who said they were very or somewhat progressive. Uh, now about 12% said they were unsure. The biggest group was moderates, 39%. Now, now to me, if you're a moderate, particularly on a college campus, uh, that means you're probably leaning uh, to be a conservative. You're just afraid to say it. Uh, so the, the big news to me is 80% of the students in this survey are not, are not, this is really important, 80% of their students do not identify as progressives. Uh, when all the bias is pushed that way, when, when all the, but, but talking to a lot of students, they don't feel that way, particularly in their classroom. They don't feel that way, not just in the, uh, the bias they see from their their left-wing professors, but but even from other students. And so this is really very encouraging to help get that word out that, that there actually are more conservative-leaning students out there. Although you can see the shift that takes place when students go to college. Uh, one of the questions tied into coronavirus was thinking about current events, which of the following statements do you agree with more? One uh, option was the coronavirus crisis in the United States is mostly China's fault because the virus began there and they're covering up how serious it was. The other option was the coronavirus crisis in the United States is mostly our own government's fault for not responding properly. So two very distinctive opinions as to who's at fault. When the question was given, and again, they could, they could answer unsure, 12% uh, answered unsure, but of high school students, 48% sort of plurality identified China as the one at fault versus just 40% uh, percent, uh, who thought it was the United States government. Flip it around, it was just the opposite. In college uh, or post-secondary, post-high school students, 48% uh, thought it was our own government's fault versus 41% who thought it was China's. So you can start to see the impact uh, that uh, these, uh, these uh, professors uh, can have, uh, even in the difference of opinion on something like, is it China's fault or our own fault? Uh, but but this was interesting. Uh, a series of other questions. One of them was, which would you rather have? Uh, one, a smaller government with fewer government programs and lower taxes, or a larger government with more government programs and higher taxes? Get this, of all the students combined, 54% said a smaller government with fewer government programs and lower taxes versus just 27% who said a larger government with more government programs and higher taxes. Now, those numbers were slightly better in high school, but they weren't that much different. Uh, it was still even in post-high school, 51% uh, versus 32%. Now, lest we think they're all anti-tax small government folks, I think the tax phrase was probably the part that got their attention the most. Uh, the uh, follow-up question was, which of the following do you agree with more? In order to maintain our way of life in the United States for at least the next 10 years, we need one, more government programs, or two, fewer government programs. Amazingly, after talking about not liking big government, not wanting more programs uh, and, and higher taxes with that, uh, we found that 43% of the students said more government programs to maintain our way of life for the next 10 years versus just 35% who said less government programs. Uh, I, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't play, peg that on just uh, the issue of... Uh, of, of young people thinking that way, oftentimes, and I saw that as, as a candidate uh, for governor, we see that in polling amongst people across age groups, that, that people don't wanna pay higher taxes, 
but at the same time, uh, they certainly want core uh, programs out there. And so uh, this is just one of those things where we've got to mind, be mindful of explaining if you just leave it in a vacuum and say, oh, would you like more programs that help improve our way of life? Most people, including students, are going to be open to that, good or bad. If you tie in the fact, are you willing to pay higher taxes for that? Suddenly the numbers shift and, and people are much more likely to be uh, uh, conservative when it comes to those issues. And so just an important reminder. Last statistic I want to give you is uh, it was asked, do you think the federal government threatens your own personal rights and freedoms or not? 46% said yes, 35% uh, said no. Uh, and that number is not much different between high school and college. 46% in, in high school said yes, 47% in, in post-high school, college uh, age uh, students responding to the survey uh, said yes. So that was pretty consistent. What that tells me more than anything is that we need to talk about the contrast between freedom and socialism. The counter to socialism isn't capitalism, it isn't, it isn't free enterprise, those are segments of it. It's more fundamental than that. It's freedom. And I think at their core, and I've said this for some time, I, I think young people are more libertarian than they are liberal. And so I think it is critically, critically important for us to point out that if you want, if you want to protect your own personal freedoms, um, the way to do that is not through more government. It's through less government. It's, through, it's the difference between dependence on the government or independence from it. And to me, that is not just a conservative idea. It's a fundamentally American idea. You see, there's a reason why we take a day off to celebrate the 4th of July as opposed to celebrating April 15th. And that's because in America, we celebrate our independence from the government, not our dependence on it. Having said that, one last reminder for folks, completely unrelated uh, to the survey or anything else we've talked about this morning. Today, today, May 8th, is the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II uh, in Europe. Uh, we commonly call it VE Day for victory in Europe. VE Day is the celebration of the formal acceptance uh, by the Allied nations in World War II of the unconditional surrender of Nazi Germany. That took place on Tuesday, May 8th, 1945. As I mentioned, that marked the end of World War II in, in Europe. Just a little reminder to think about that to people all over the country, uh, just down the way from where we're at, the Milwaukee County War Memorial today is encouraging freedom-loving people, and I join in with them, is joining us all to, to go outside uh, on our porch, on our patio, on our backyard, wherever it might be, at 1 o'clock. In this case, it would be 1 o'clock Central Time here uh, in Wisconsin, but across the country, uh, to go out today at 1 o'clock and ring a bell. Or if you don't have a bell, make some noise with something else. We've done that for healthcare professionals and others, but, but ring a bell outside for 75 seconds to recognize the 75th anniversary of VE Day, the victory in Europe over Nazi Germany. The reason I say all that is to me, it all ties back into what I was just saying at the end of the survey results, and that is freedom. Freedom at its core is something that is timeless. It's, it's something that appeals to any and every generation. It's something that appeals to people not only here in the United States, but, but all across the country. And so as I, I sign off, I'll say it as I do every week. Thanks for listening and keep fighting for freedom.